Rancho Obi-Wan is home to the world's largest Star Wars memorabilia collection, as recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records. Become a member of Rancho Obi-Wan right now to get exclusive access to tours of Rancho Obi-Wan hosted by Steve Sansweet, invites to special events, and more. Plus, you can also make a difference and help Rancho Obi-Wan grow with a simple donation of $1 or higher. Visit RanchoObiWan.org now to get the latest news, become a member, or make a donation. RanchoObiWan.org. This episode of Geek Out Loud, we got an email that requested some top 10 lists. Hadn't done that in a while. Thought it'd be fun. And then I started pulling my hair out. This is your safe place to geek out. This is the Geek Out Loud Podcast. Welcome to Geek Out Loud, your safe place to geek out on the internet. My name is Steve Lawson, so glad to be along with you on what promises to be an exciting show. We are excited to have you here. And if you're excited, as I'm excited, then there's more excitement than the world can contain. Won't you come with me now on a journey into the mind of the geek? As we explore the things that we love, and the things we enjoy, and the things that make us go nuts. We will complain about all the nitpicks. We will celebrate all the things that are just right. And then we will say goodbye. That is our promise to you on Geek Out Loud. I have to be honest with you, I want to stop. But I just can't. I've got sucked into talking just like this. (laughs) Hello, everyone. So good to have you along with us. My name is Steve Glosson, and this is Geek Out Loud, your safe place to geek out on the Internet. Now, let's, let's review what safe place means. Let's review it real quick. It means that we can have differing opinions and nobody kill each other. That's basically it. We don't even we don't even throw around death threats. There's not even a uh, there's not even name calling that goes on in 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 this safe place to geek out. If we have differing opinions, we may look at each other funny. We may scratch our heads a little bit. We may even question how can you even think that. But at the end of the day, we're nice people and we all get along because that's what we want, guys. Remember growing up. 
if you were like me growing up, you kind of felt alone in the world. Not that I didn't have friends. I wasn't, I wasn't one of those people that had no friends. But I did always feel a certain distant, distance from my friends because I wasn't into what they were into. You know, we were, we were into different things, especially as I got older. Now, you know, when you're kids, when I was a kid, everyone was a Star Wars fan. Everyone was a G.I. Joe fan. Everyone was He-Man, Transformers, all that good stuff. But then once you get older and all, everyone leaves that behind except you, you know, and you're still buying comic books and stuff, you're a little bit different than everyone else. And so uh, when we developed the Internet, I say we as though I had part in it, once the Internet was developed and we all found each other, it's like we didn't know how to be friends. <laughs> it's like, how, how do we be friends now? How does, how does that happen? How can I be your friend if you're different from me? Because no one was ever my friend when I was different from them. And so that's what we try to provide here is that safe place to geek out. I hope everyone's doing well. I want to thank everyone for listening to us. If you're downloading the podcast, thank you so much for doing that. And for those listening live at Mixler.com slash Goliverse, always good to have the Mixler Zoo crew with us. And uh, you guys are, are great to be here, especially on a Tuesday night at a quarter after 9 p.m. when I know that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has a new episode on and you're choosing to sit here and listen to this rather than watch that. However, my thoughts on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. may lead to think, I don't blame you for being here. Just saying. Don't know why ABC can't get it together the way Netflix has gotten it together with their Marvel properties. So, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. We got, a, we got a big show. We got a good show for you. There's an email we'll read momentarily that spun that will spin off the rest of the show because uh it got me thinking and i was really intrigued by this and i know that we've done something like this before but i don't know that we've ever done it this structured before so we're going to get into that eventually with all of our emails so let's jump into our listener supported emails right now We begin with our good friend, Matthew Marks. Matt Marks says, Hey, Steve, wanted to point something out to you about all the Rogue One debate and discussion going on. I didn't know there was a lot of Rogue One debate and discussion going on. I know there's a lot of discussion. There's always debate. There's a couple of groups of people. One group, which I believe is a tiny minority, says, Oh, great, another female hero. This is just Hunger Games set in the Star Wars universe. This looks awful. I want my Star Wars back. And then there's the vast majority who think it looks awesome and rush to correct that tiny minority and say that it's not just a clone of Hunger Games and that there's nothing wrong with the idea of a female protagonist. protagonist. I've got it. I've got it, guys. I've got it. Protagonist. I did it. Made it through that word just fine. My, my fat lips did not keep me from saying protagonist. Um, when I watched the trailer with my wife, I realized there was a third group of people that may be getting caught in the crossfire. Right after the trailer ended, she said, it looks kind of like the Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Did you just say? My first thought, like the first thought of many fans online, was that this was a criticism of the trailer because there was a female protagonist. There's that word again. And I did it. But obviously my wife would not be opposed to that. I asked what she meant, and she said that the last shot of the trailer was reminiscent of some of the shots of Katniss in The Hunger Games. So I think there's some people who picked up on that and commented online only to have the pro-Rogue One fans get all defensive and start fighting back. 
I don't think comparisons to the Hunger Games are necessarily negative. My wife loves the Hunger Games, and I felt some aspects of the Hunger Games were reminiscent of a Star Wars, a rebellion fighting back against the oppressive government. Uh, so it all comes back to feeling like Star Wars. May the Force be with you, Matt Marks. I only watched the first of the Hunger Games series, uh, so I didn't quite get that vibe or that feel. It makes sense because we're not in George Lucas Star Wars land anymore. We're in Disney Star Wars land, and you're going to have producers and stuff looking at what has worked and try to go with that and try to capture that audience. Uh, not that Star Wars doesn't already have a huge audience, but I feel like they think if we can capture not only the Star Wars audience, but also the Hunger Games audience, then um, then we're doing great because Hunger Games made money, made a lot of money at the box office. I, you know, I don't, I don't get the Hunger Games thing. When I'm watching that, I'm saying, oh, they're putting the Death Star together. Look at that Star Destroyer. It looks like, it, like it's right out of episode four. Uh, who's that guy kneeling before that glowy back-to-tank thing with the Imperial Guards around it? Who's the man standing there on the bridge of the Star to, on the bridge of the Death Star? Uh, is Forrest Whitaker good or bad? You know what? What's the deal with Forrest Whitaker? I, I'm I'm looking at Mon Mothman. I'm just like, that's amazing. She sounds like her. She looks like her. It's great. Those are the things I take away. But now I'm I'm very acutely aware of Star Wars. I'm very much just a Star Wars fan. And when when I see that, that's what I that's what I do. So I don't quite I don't you know that's not when people say that I don't take it as I don't take it as someone I don't take it as someone dogging on Star Wars. If it's a diehard Star Wars fan, what they're they're disappointed in the look of it. But I'm also looking at this and saying it's what a two minute trailer, a two minute teaser. There's not a lot there. I go back to the Force Awakens stuff and all the stuff we were extrapolating from the footage we saw in in the three or four trailers we got. And a majority of what we saw in those trailers was like from the first third of the movie. So, you know, if they're sticking with that kind of idea, that kind of formula, knowing that J.J. Abrams is not at the helm of this thing, I would imagine maybe they're being, they're, they'll be a little bit looser with it. But... um but it's just like, give it time. You know, this trailer's a trailer's going to sell something one way, but uh, you know, it may not be the way that it ends up being. And and oftentimes that happens a lot. Um, as I said before, we started the email section. This is uh, brought to you by our listeners. Listener support brings you emails each and every episode. And you can support us by going over to patreon.com slash geekoutloud. We are a listener-funded show. We are a crowdsourced podcasting network. And we appreciate everyone who supports us at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Our featured support on this episode, Andy Babacht. Blending in with the shadows, Andy controls the darkness. He is the face in the window of crime. Vile criminals are never beyond his sight or reach. He's also got great hair. That's Andy Babacht, our featured supporter on this episode of Geek Out Loud. We continue on now with our emails and Jason, who says, Good morning, Steve. I'm a long-ish time listener, and this is my first email communication being sent into the Goliverse. I've been listening for just over a year, and I love the show. I was told that I should check out your show from none other than Steve from Michigan. Shameless name drop, no apologies. I hear you. Steve in Michigan, old Shoney, co-host of the Lost Hours podcast. He is a good friend of mine since high school and a fellow Star Wars fan, so I usually trust his judgment. I've been an avid fan of the war since I was l little, yet old enough to know who Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are. 
I'm currently listening to goal episode number 171, the conversation starting off with Eric's quote, favorite movie questions piqued my interest and I wanted to share my thoughts on the subject. First, though, I wanted to say how awesome it is the Goloverse is supporting a great cause like Cure. Keep up the good work, sir. We will keep up the good work in January of 2017, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. We will be doing our third annual Cure a Childhood Cancer Marathon, Goloverse Marathon for Cure Childhood Cancer. And um, <clears throat> we will be upping our goal to $5,000. So last this past year it was $3,000. We met and exceeded it. And uh, next year, we're looking at that $5,000 mark. So looking forward to doing that. Uh, Jason goes on. He says, first of all, uh, he says, jumping into some of Eric's question, favorite all-time movie, Return of the Jedi. Runners up, Empire Strikes Back, Jurassic Park, and Back to the Future Part 1. I love Jedi most because it has all the elements that I love about storytelling wrapped into one film, a sense of adventure, internal struggle with Vader, victory over seemingly immeasurable odds, redemption, Vader, and amazing space battles and cinematography. My favorite movie scene, The Battle of New York and The Avengers. I love Marvel and everything Avengers. Any scene where the Avengers are coming together and using coordinated attacks to take down the enemy are okay with me. We have a Hulk. Star Wars is the only franchise that beats out Marvel for me. Number three, favorite movie line, The Joker and The Dark Knight. Oh, you just couldn't let me go, could you? This is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. You truly are incorruptible, aren't you? Huh? You won't kill me out of some place, out of some misplaced sense of self-righteousness. And I won't kill you because you're just too much fun. I think you and I are destined to do this forever. I love this line because it carries so much weight and depth in terms of a great hero and a great villain coming to terms with each other on how they operate and who they are. I apologize for the terrible uh, impersonation there. Want to know how I got these scars? Okay, there we go. That's better. Um, it's really not. What movie scene do you cry about every time? This was a tough one. I would have to say when Gary Bertier dies in the Remember the Titans. Now, he doesn't die. I mean, he's at the, at the end. It reveals that he's dead, but he gets in that wreck. You can't replace a Gary Bertier. Uh, a second close was when the T-800 exoskeleton lowered itself in the molten metal in Terminator 2, Judgment Day, right in the fields. Jason, it's so funny that you... Okay. <clears throat> I've never thought that was an emotional scene, and I'm not laughing at you, sir, but I had a pastor several years ago who, in the middle of a sermon, and this is a man who I would have never thought watched the Terminator, but apparently he caught it on TV one day. And he begins describing that scene of the Terminator going down and that hand going to the thumbs up. And he got choked up in the middle of his sermon. And we, behind his back, of course, me and the other staff, we kind of laughed at him. Uh, what three movie characters would you invite to dinner? He says, one Kenobi a couple of years after Ep3, Dr. Raymond Stance, and Indiana Jones. I think all these characters would be fascinating to have over for dinner. With many degrees of subject matter to discuss, I think all of them would have some amazing and funny stories to share. Any and Obi-Wan would share many historical stories, and I could see them bonding over those stories. All would say, uh, all would, oh, I'm sorry. All would add some comic relief, but Ray would probably top the funny list out of these three. Things may get a little awkward if <laughs> Obi-Wan mentions Force Ghosts to Ray. What genre of movie? Or other, or what, what genre of movie or movie that other people would be surprised to find out you like? Documentaries. I don't watch many documentaries, but there are some out there that I enjoy watching. I enjoy documentaries like Planet Earth. I love Planet Earth. And the follow-up, Life. Both of those I really enjoy. 
a movie that I liked, but most do not, Super Mario Brothers with Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, and Dennis Hopper. The secret is out. I've never watched Super Mario Brothers in my life. Um, I've never, I've never, I've never seen it. And I don't know why. I mean, I was into it back when it came out and I, and I guess I just never got to the theater to see it. And then I heard all the bad about it. So I never went back to watch it again. Kryptonite movie, Back to the Future, any parts or movies. The one last thing uh, before I end this super long email, again, no apologies. Have you ever played the fantasy flight games, Star Wars, Armada, or Star Wars X-Wing tabletop miniature games? If you haven't, you should check them both out. I'm pretty sure I've annoyed my friends with my enthusiasm for Armada. When capital ships are involved, I cannot help myself. Thanks for all you do and for the great work you do on goal. Well, the mediocre work. We're working toward good. Thanks for the opportunity to write in, too, and hope I hope to do it again soon. I hope you do, too, Jason, also from Michigan. I have not checked out the Star Wars tabletop miniature games, um, the X-Wing games, because I have no one with which to play them, and I never know how to play those things. So maybe if I'm up in Michigan sometime, we can sit down and uh, talk it out over some um, Mountain Dew. Sure, Mountain Dew. Pete Gribble asked about the Gulliver shows being on the Google Play podcast site. Uh, I haven't put them there, um, but I know there's a lot of Android listeners out there, and so we will try to get those up there as quickly as possible, depending on the the situation with it. Um, what else have we got here? What else have we got here? Andrew asked a very pertinent question. Steve, who is the cover band that you play sometimes? I think they mash Like a Prayer, some ACDC, and something else. That, my friend, is Rock Sugar. Lead singer is Jess Harnell, the voice of such amazing characters as Wacko Warner from the Animaniacs. Uh, they put out an album a while back called Reimaginator. I don't know if it's still for sale or not. You can go to their website and check it out. We call them the unofficial house band of the Goliverse. Uh, love those guys. Jess was on a show several years ago. You have to look back in the archives at geekoutpodcast.com for that. Uh, had a few minutes to sit down and talk with him. He was great. And uh, it was right after I discovered Rock Sugar, right as they were coming out. And, um, man, they've made the rounds. A lot of people have, uh, have checked them out and, uh, and, and gotten into what they do. Kenny Crowley says, Hello, Steve, with DC Rebirth coming starting May 25th. I want to get your thoughts on which titles you're looking forward to reading, which titles you're excited about. For me, the Rebirth titles I'm excited for are Supergirl, Supergirl Rebirth, The Flash, The Flash Rebirth, Superman, Superman Rebirth, Action Comics, Batman, Batman Rebirth, Detective Comics, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman Rebirth. I'm seeing a pattern here. Batgirl, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, All-Star Batman, Justice League, Trinity, and Hellblazer. Also, to close my email, I'd like, I like Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and give it an 8 out of 10. It was a good film, and I hope Supergirl does get renewed by CBS for Season 2. Thanks, Steve. Keep up the great work with Geek Out Loud and the Goliverse, and up, up, and away. Sincerely, longtime DC Comics fan and listener, Kenny Crowley from Ohio. Well, Kenny, here's the deal with the DC Comics. I uh, have only been reading Marvel comics, and and with those, I'm about six months behind because I do it on the Marvel Unlimited app. It is an incredible plan. It is $9.99 a month. I read way over $10 worth of comic books in a week, a lot of times in one setting. So I'm definitely getting my money's worth out of it. And I've said since the beginning, since I first got that app and started doing that, that if DC would do something like that, I would jump on board immediately. But they've yet to do anything along those lines. So... I just don't have the disposable income to buy individual titles along and along that way. So uh, I may catch up in some trades and that sort of thing. I'm not even sure what's going on and what DC Rebirth is. 
I hope that doesn't make me too bad of a geek. I would love to be reading DC, but I just don't have the the funds to do it. I've had I had to lay down um lay down the uh lay down the comics. So uh I'm sure we'll get some emails in about what DC Rebirth is and what it entails and I look forward to finding out what that's all about. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, never in the history of Geek Out Loud have we received a um, an email from someone in the animal kingdom. But uh, we 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 now have this, ladies and gentlemen. We we have a, an email from uh, Chickafant. If you're unfamiliar with Chickafant, Chickafant is uh, a chicken, uh, a stuffed chicken that shows up at a lot of um, a lot of Star Wars events, and uh, <laughs> I've had my picture taken several times with Chickafant. The first time, I remember being very confused about what it was and what was going on, but uh, now it's become a part of my Star Wars experience. Whenever I'm somewhere like a Star Wars Weekends or the Star Wars 5K that we did down at Disney or... Um, or the meetup, the, the Skywalking Through Neverland meetup afterwards. Anytime there's a grouping of Star Wars fans, I kind of expect to run into Chickafant. And uh, this is written from the actual Chickafant himself. Uh, Steve, I'm not sure why it took me and my parents so long to jump into the Goldverse. His parents, of course, are the Chickafant parents, the, the people who actually carry the stuffed chicken around. We've enjoyed your take on things when you visited other podcasts that we listened to and have really enjoyed meeting you in person several times over the past few years. We started tuning in with episode 176 and enjoyed your thoughts on Batman v Superman and the Rogue One teaser. Then it was on to episode 177 with Erish and Pass the Corn. Being a movie-loving family, these kind of conversations are going to be so much fun for us. Now we've listened to you and Coach share your observations and experience of the Star Wars Dark Side Half Marathon weekend in episode 178 and continue to be impressed with the fun quality shows you're producing. Thanks for the shout-out in the episode. It was great getting to see you a few times throughout the weekend. You shared so many fun moments from your experience, and the one that had my parents laughing out loud in the car was your Dukes of Hazard moment going over the, quote, speed bump, unquote. Thank you for the often awesome reference and visual. We agree with you that this event is a great way for Star Wars fans to get together. My parents and I plan to be there, be there next year and will enjoy spending some time with other Goldiverse listeners that decide to be part of the fun. I guess I need to start training now. Well, I should let you go because based on all the shows you produce and visit, I'm sure you're going to need to be off doing something important. Thanks for a great show. My parents and I look forward to seeing you again at the RFR meetup in June. I will be down in Orlando for the RFR meetup in June, on June 10th in Hollywood Studios, and then the next day for the live show at the Hilton there at uh, Lake Buena Vista on uh, Hotel Boulevard, ladies and gentlemen, directly in the shadows of Disney Springs. I'll be there and looking forward to being there. It's always great to hang out with Star Wars fans and folks. And we will be doing the uh, the, the Star Wars uh, Dark Side 5K down at uh, Disney again next year. And um, they've already uh, sent out an email as to when tickets for that event are going are gonna to go on sale. So... Um, and if you'll give me, if you'll bear with me just a moment to actually do this, I know it's considered unprofessional, but if you'll give me a moment and bear with me as I uh, bring this up, uh, I will find that information for you. Let me see. Is this it? No, that's not it. No. No. Maybe this is it. 
yeah, 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 yeah. Here we go. Um, sorry. Sorry, guys. Bringing it up now, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, registration for that begins in... No idea. Uh, it's going to be April 20th through 23rd. And here we go. Registration dates for that begin on August 9th. August 9th for uh, the Star Wars Dark Side uh, Half Marathon 5K, 10K stuff that's going on um, April 20th to 23rd. I imagine the 5K will be on April 20th because it's usually the first thing. Uh, Coach is trying to rope me into doing a 10K as well. Just depends on how training goes this year, guys. I have not really started back up training like I need to, but I want to think uh, we had a very, I don't know if he wants to be named, so I'm not going to name him, but someone actually put in a special uh, a special pledge last month at the Patreon so that I could go get some of them fancy science shoes that <laughs> we could run about. So um, <clears throat> I want to, uh, I, I, so... I'd love for more Goldiverse people to go down there. I think Carissa has reached out to me, said she's going to try to get her and her family down there next year. Um, so we we will we will as we get closer to August uh, in July, just listen up and we'll start to uh, set up a mailing list and that sort of thing for people who want to be a part of a Goldiverse meetup down there in April. So we'll talk about that as we get to it. And I'm so glad to have the Chickafant and his family listening. It's always fun to uh, to have new listeners and, and especially those folks that 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 email in and let us know they're listening for the first time and the stuff they're enjoying. Swinimer, Swinimer, I'm just going to let this story play out. Hi, Steve. I just got back from a business trip to Stuttgart, Germany. Did I say that right? Stuttgart, 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 and I had to write you about what happened to me there. The the company I work for participated in a visual effects trade show called FMX. It's an annual gathering of professionals and amateurs in the visual effects field to share ideas and discuss future technologies. It just so happened that a coworker had invited a special effects luminary he knows well to participate in a keynote address alongside my company's executive. The luminary turns out to be Richard Edlin. Well, I don't have to tell you and your goal listeners, but for those who don't who want to know, Richard was there at the beginning of Industrial Light and Magic. He helped make George Lucas's vision of Star Wars come to life, and he has several Academy Awards to approve it. Richard is also known for his visual effects work on Raiders of the Lost Ark, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Ghostbusters, and such as. So here's a funny story. The evening prior to the keynote address, Richard was supposed to meet with my company's executive team and panelists at a nearby hotel to discuss the details of the keynote. Although almost everyone had managed to find the hotel and gather to meet, Richard was missing, even though we had just seen him a few minutes earlier, wa earlier walking to the same ho hotel but on a different path. Keep in mind that this meeting designed to go over discussion points, so it was very important to the executives. As a first-time visitor to Stuttgart, and because all the street signs are foreign to him and he didn't have a GPS on his phone, it was almost impossible to give Richard directions to the venue. So I volunteered to go on a dink dink heroic journey to help the man who helped create Star Wars. Luckily, I remembered the color and type of jacket he was wearing and his general direction, so I ventured out in the small hamlet of Stuttgart to find him. 
I thought I'd be out there for hours, searching and searching, but he was just two blocks away at a street corner. Calling out his name to get his attention, we greet one another, and I walked him into the hotel venue for the executive meeting. As a result, the keynote panel planning meeting took place, and the next day's event was deemed a success. So I guess it wasn't funny after all, but at least I got to meet Richard Edlund. That, I hope you took a selfie, Swinimer. I hope that was my, that was, he says, I hope that was mildly interesting to the goal listeners. Thanks for the great podcast. May the force be with you and congratulations on finishing the star Wars 5k marathon. I did finish the 5k and, uh, but I tell you what, the hard part was walking all the way back out to the car after the, after the thing was over. It's like, we're done, but we still have to walk another half mile or two (laughs) out to the car. Dude, that's amazing. Did you become best friends? Did you exchange numbers? Did you take a selfie? All these things should have been done, Swinimer, and I'm not telling you how to live your life, but uh, but man, I hope you took the opportunity to talk to him. That is that is awesome. Uh, he rescued Star Wars visual effects expert Richard Edlund. Ladies and gentlemen, swig of water for Swinimer. On the last episode, I was talking about, uh, guys, the transport. Guys, I did it again. Stop it, Steve. Stop it. I'm going to bust myself in the nose. I, I just feel so conversational with everyone. When I'm doing this, I feel like I'm just having a conversation with a bunch of people. So, you know, I'm just kind of throwing in little words here and there to kind of continue the conversation, the flow of the conversation. So I apologize if it gets too personal. I know there's gals listening, too. I used to be a gang kind of dude. I'd be like, hey, gang, what's up? Um... But I need to not do any of that. How about a little professionalism, Glosson? How about that? How about that, Glosson? Why don't you get professional and stop acting like you're an amateur? You've been doing this for 100. This is 180 episodes you've been doing this. You're 20 episodes away from 200. And you can't do anything but say guys or gang. You can't act like, go back to, go to school or something. Gosh. Jared Duhon says, Hey, Steve, you don't have to read this on the podcast, but that's up to you. Oh, it is up to me, Jared, and I'm doing it. He's got a great uh, beginning of his uh, email, by the way, Nuclear Eagle. Love it. While listening to the podcast last week, you were having the discussion about the theme songs for Hasbro Properties. You mentioned and played a clip of the Transformers theme song by Mute Math. Mute Math actually started out at my church. I knew they were a Christian band. that I was introduced to them through a Christian music service that I used when I was a youth pastor. The guy who was their lead guitar player at the time had since left the band, is now part of our worship team. He told me the story of the song. It was originally supposed to be done by Linkin Park, but Michael Bay didn't like their version. They approached Mute Math, but only gave them three days to complete it for the film. They were touring at the time and couldn't make the deadline. They submitted it a week late, so it didn't make the film, only the album. Anyway, thought you may find this story interesting. I do, because I think it's bullcrap that they couldn't put that song in the movie. They could have easily gone into editing, and put it into the, the end credits, and they should have. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's awesome, dude. Um, thank you for telling that story. I was really, that's that's some great information. So thanks, and tell your, your friend, thanks for sharing that story with you so you could share it for me. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we come to the email that is the impetus of what we're about to get into in this podcast. Impetus, is that right word? Impetus. Is impetus, guys, what is impetus? I say guys meaning the people in the chat. Again, I did that against Stephen. Stephen, stop it. Gosh. Yes, the impetus for this show. Craig Allbuck writes in 
and he says, Hey, Steve, I love your show. I've been a listener for many years. Many, many years. I know you're a child of the 80s, just like me. Are you excited to see the latest take on Voltron? Five awesome lines will be joining together to form Voltron on June 10th on Netflix. It was one of my favorites growing up. I can't wait. How about you? Let me stop and answer that question this way. It's already been done at least once. That was the theme song to Voltron Force, a short-lived cartoon on Nick on Nicktoons. And guys, I watched it. I tried to like it. They got it was kind of a, a continuation of the story of Voltron of the original 80s cartoons. And that intro was just so bad. I'm like, you're you're dead in the water from here. And they tried to add all these other little gimmicks that everyone had, and they had a new team of young people that wanted to learn to to drive the lines and they were supposed to be like the new Voltron team. And it was just like, why not continue the story with the characters that your audience who's built in for this are going to know and love and go ahead and hip them up however you need to, but don't throw in these annoying children characters. It seems like they always have to do that on these cartoons. It's like, well, we got to throw in some annoying children for the annoying child audience, but you don't. You don't. And they did, and it was short-lived because it just wasn't that great. They had a nice continuity between all the episodes and everything, but something just fell flat about it, and I believe it begins with that theme song. Uh, so I don't know if I can't wait, but I know I will definitely be checking it out uh, somewhere around June 10th when it hits Netflix. Craig goes on to say, On your latest episode of Geek Out Loud, you talked about the mixed universe that Hasbro is trying to put together. I'm not sure how they're going to pull it off. I guess we have to wait and see. The discussion brought a lot of memories back for me as you talked about G.I. Joe, Mask, and Visionaries. Has Geek Out Loud ever done a show to rank the all-time best cartoons of the 80s? I was not a comic book reader. Gasp. The cartoons were my introduction to the world of sci-fi fantasy. And here are some of my favorites. Star Blazers, the first cartoon that had a linear storyline. He-Man, Super Friends, Battle of the Planets, or G-Force. Thundercats, Thundar, the Barbarian. G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mask. Silverhawks, The Real Ghostbusters, Robotech. I don't want to make this too long, but I would love to see you do this. Rank the top, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe top 10. DC top 10. Star Wars. Then, to blow your mind, try to rank all three universes together. I have no criticisms of your show. <laughs> it is a safe place to geek out. Well, thank you, Craig. Uh, this email got me thinking. Uh, I really... I've, okay, way back early on, in Geek Out Loud history, and you have to go way back in the archives. There was like a three-part series of episodes just on the 80s. I covered 80s music, 80s television, and 80s movies. I think that's, or maybe it was cartoons, television, like live-action television and movies. But I covered 80s in, in 80s pop culture as best I could 
as a baby podcaster. It was, I don't know if it was good or not. Um, and it was followed up by Derek Russell coming on and talking, um, talking, uh, back to the future with me. So I don't know what, how long ago that was. Um, and what episode that was, but I'll find out. It was episode 20. Just found it. Uh, let's see. Let's see what this... Episode 20, titled, Like, Totally Awesome. Uh, on the on this, the 20th anniversary of Geek Out Loud, we're taking it back to where the foundation was laid for little Steve to grow into the big honking geek that he is today. It's all 80s talk, along with your emails, which turns into a Pimp Everyone's Podcast segment, a real-life superhero, and a Rubik's Cube. So, indulge me? Maybe? Let's see. You're listening to the Geek Out Loud podcast, the official podcast of geekoutonline.com. Wow, haven't heard that in a while. Previously on Geek Out Loud. Hadn't done that in a while. Some of you will notice I've gotten more regular uh, about getting some podcasts out. If you'll go back and look at the dates on the first uh, on the first few episodes, you'll see that things kind of came out on a regular basis then as well. The thing is, wow, I is sound terrible. There is a span of time uh, from late September into mid. What? This is the worst uh, previously on segment November ever. Where I'm really not that busy in real life, and then once the holidays hit, things kick back in and they don't slow down again until uh, late September. You know, until uh, November. You guys have been so great. You, the greatest listening audience in the universe, have been so great to, to leave reviews. The truth is, is though I grew up with Star Wars, Star Wars did not grow up with me. Oh, that's a great line, Steve. So let's get on into the episode, see if I can get on in. from Harold. He says, hello, Steve. I'm a junior, so he's not part of the class of 95, and I'm a longtime listener of Geek Out Loud and other two podcasts you do. No, that's not good. I'm terrible, guys. Wow. I don't feel like I've I don't feel like I've grown at all as a podcaster. But I do sound better. Maybe I was stuffed up then. This was October of two thousand eight. So eight years ago, almost eight years ago, I did uh a couple of episodes. Episode twenty, twenty one, and let's see, what was twenty one about? Sorry to do this to you guys. This is like the most boring podcast ever. The discussion of the 80s continues in this podcast as Steve takes a look at some of the television of the 80s. Sure to infuriate you as he most likely leaves out your favorite show from the decade and that lays the foundation for a whole generation of geeks. Um, all right. Oh, my gosh. And that's a... Listen, episode 21 is the episode where uh, we had one of my favorite people in the world ever email in for the first time. And uh, his name is Paolo, and uh, it was actually his mom who emailed in for him, and he was but a little boy. Gosh, that was eight years ago, and he was such a little boy, and now he's a young man. And then um, episode twenty three, uh, episode 22 was Totally Awesome, the third, and it was uh, movies from the geekiest decade ever. Uh, so, yeah, so check those out. If you're so inclined to hear terrible podcasting, Episodes 20, 21, and 22, and then to cleanse the palate, 23 has Derek on talking Back to the Future with me. So 
so we have done something like that before in the past, but I don't know that I ranked anything. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so this was really interesting to me. The challenge was MCU top 10, DC top 10, Star Wars, which would be the, you know, rank the seven, then to blow your mind, try to rank all three universes together. I will tell you this, I haven't ranked all three universes together, but I did go back and rank top 10 80s cartoons. Now, these are all my opinion. These are all uh, what Steve thinks uh, are the top 10 things, uh, top 10 cartoons and, and movies uh, in these different universes for me. Um, so, you know, it's not a definitive list by any stretch of the imagination because... Lord knows we all have our tastes and our preferences. But I thought it'd be fun. It gives us a chance to kind of go back and look back at some things and talk about some things. Um, before we do that, and before we get into this, uh, I do want to mention this really quickly. First of all, a lot of the other... I, I mentioned in, in response to the one email about Rock Sugar. But what I didn't mention is I also play some other uh, remixes from time to time that are done by a guy who calls himself Fat Boy Roberts. And he uh, has his stuff at geekremixed.com, geekremixed.com. I really like his work uh, that he does, and I like to incorporate it whenever and wherever I can. And he kind of said he was retired, but uh, he stepped back in. Apparently he got, um, got uh, inspired by the Rogue One teaser, and he has released a new track called This Is a Rebellion. So I thought we'd give that a little bit of a listen. I haven't listened to it yet. So that's Fat Boy Roberts at geekremix.com. He definitely deserves a bit of a shout out for all the play that he gets here on the show. I've reached out to him before to talk to him and never heard back, but uh, great work by him. Great work by him. Now let's get into these top 10 lists brought to you by our Amazon links, geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. Many of the things we're about to talk about, you can get on Amazon. If, you, if you're so inclined, if some of these things bring up some feelings or emotions in you and you want to pick them up, do so through Amazon. You can do that at our links at, at uh, geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. Just click on the uh, banners there on the page. It'll take you to Amazon. You do your shopping as you normally do, and we get kicked back a little bit for all that you shop. And here's the fun thing about that. The more 
the more shopping you do through that, like the referral fees go up. Like there's a limit. Like you hit twenty, and and the percentage goes up a little bit. You hit twenty, you hit sixty, that goes up a little bit. Well, that sort of, and so forth and so on. So, the more you shop there, the more it helps. Uh, when you use those links at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. Now, the first thing Craig has responded to and asked us to do is rank the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Top 10 films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This was a bit of a doozy for me, and uh, my top three are a little bit interchangeable, if you will. I did not do any uh, honorable mentions uh, because I feel like sometimes honorable mentions are just a chance to talk about things you wanted to and should be in your top ten. Um, <clears throat> but with the MCU and with the DC movies, uh, you just about only have ten or twelve. So I didn't do honorable mentions. So number ten, MC Universe, Thor The Dark World. This is a movie that a lot of people say was a misstep for Marvel. I dug it. I completely bought in, especially at the end when Thor is pressing through like the inner you know he's uh the 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 dark elf dude i can't remember his name which you know hey what a villain huh uh christopher eccleston elf is uh pushing all that stuff the ether swirling around him and thor's pressing through it with those things to take him out and the music swells up as thor just finally leaps and he hits it and mjolnir hits his hand right at the right time and boom. uh it continued with with some of the same humor and stuff that was present in thor and uh and and i just really really liked it and uh and thought it was a good continuation of the story it had the epic fantastic feel that a thor story should have and um and it, and it had its small tie-ins back into the avengers so it was a, it was a great phase two movie i really really like thor the dark world it's my number 10 number nine is the age of ultron avengers age of ultron this movie is another movie that I think was a letdown for a lot of people. And Joss Whedon has talked about how he didn't really feel good about it once it had once it was all said and done and, and, and how he felt like he failed with it and everything. But at the end of the day, when you get all of these characters on screen and you get those amazing hero shots from the beginning where they're all leaping, you know, at the forces of Hydra to the end where it pans around when they're in that church and and, and getting ready to fight all the different Ultrons. Um, it's that kind of stuff that I'm like, all right, I'm there. The vision was amazing. And, and I've, I've admitted on this show of never being someone who's like, oh, I love the vision comics. I, but to see a character like that, I think what it is, is the fact that we live in, an, in a day and age where this character who was never a household name, he was never someone that you could talk to and say, yeah, the vision's a cool superhero. Now everyone knows him because they watched him be born. They watched him pick up the hammer of Thor and that great callback. And you know, and and I thought the movie was really well written to an extent. Obviously, the studio wanted to pack some stuff in there that didn't quite fit in and couldn't quite get packed in. A lot of people complain about the farm scenes and and that sort of. I liked that. I liked the fact that they had to get as off the grid as they could. Uh, to regroup and figure out what they were going to do as a team and how they were going to interact as a team. Uh, and, uh, and, and I like the fact that their whole mission was saving the world and in the, in the immediate area getting all the civilians out of danger that they could because that's what heroes do. That's what superheroes do. Uh, number eight for me is Captain America, the first Avenger. 
this I just watched this movie. In fact, I've been rewatching in in my spare time the past couple of weeks. Be, been rewatching the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I just watched Captain America. Uh, finished it up late last night. Man, this movie hits so many right notes. It's a great period piece. It is a great introduction to the character of Captain America, and it's heartbreaking. The end is heartbreaking. But you know it has to be that way. You know that for Captain America to be the the superhero that he's going to be, it has to end the way it does. Um, so many cool tie-ins to you know subtle tie-ins to Thor and to what is coming with the Tesseract and that sort of thing. So I really, really, really dug Captain America: The First Avenger, and it also is really the only one of the cinematic movies the marvel cinematic movies that give us a theme for our hero alan silvestri did the music did a fantastic job he gave us an avengers theme in a way but uh this is one of the more memorable soundtracks one of the more memorable scores for any of these superhero movies that have come out in the past you know 10 15 years um number seven on my marvel cinematic universe list is thor this movie was a shock to a lot of people I was looking forward to it because I've always dug Thor. He's never been like my favorite favorite, but he's always been up there in the top 10. And when they brought it to screen, what they did with Asgard, the way that, you know, they make them not necessarily, they they get away from their gods, you know, they get away from the, the Norse mythology of these are actually gods because in the comic books, they are actually gods. And here it's just that they're aliens, basically, you know, and, and they have this incredible technology that blends you know, science and magic. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, Odin, the all father is, 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 uh, kind of overseeing everything. And, um, the, what they did with the rainbow bridge, because that's a concept that could have gone terribly wrong and it just worked. It was so amazing. And, and Asgard was so amazing to look at. And this is one of, in the, even though Iron Man was funny and Tony Stark is funny, this is one of the first, movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that really kind of go for slapstick a little bit. It goes for a lot of one-liners. You've got someone who's meant to be comic relief in there. There are, it's just, they did not, they were not worried about going funny on this. To Maybe that was to be a touchstone for the audience who may have a hard time with the fantasy aspect of this, but Man, I really enjoy Thor. As I was rewatching it, uh, and even though I've done a commentary on it, as I was rewatching, I was very aware of a lot of the Dutch tilts. They may have overdone that a little bit, but uh, other than that, I really dug it. Uh, number that was number seven. Number six, Ant Man. This was a surprise for me. I really thought Ant Man would be just a cute little movie that just kind of was there, but I came away really really digging it it was my favorite superhero movie of last year uh paul rudd as scott lang was absolutely great the stuff they did to de-age michael douglas in the first part of the movie uh i thought the villain was good he was believable as a villain he was someone who believed his own stuff uh you know he wasn't to the level of a loki or a kingpin but he was still one of the better villains we've seen it wasn't just a superhero movie it was a heist movie which you know was something we've not seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and uh and again the comedy aspect was so good so good and when he pulls that keychain out and says it's not a keychain 
<laughs> I popped. I was like, of course it's not a keychain. That is amazing. And I just got so excited. I thought it was great. Great movie. Great way to potentially inter- introduce us to the microverse. And, of course, we've got Ant-Man and the Wasp coming down the road. So that's number six. Here we go in the top five of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Number five for me is Iron Man, the one that started it all back in 2008. Guys, it's hard to envision a time when Iron Man wasn't a household name. It's hard to remember that Iron Man was a... Though he was one of the 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 main members of the Avengers and, and for years was considered he and Thor and Captain America kind of the heart and soul of the Avengers. He was not the name that people knew you know, again, just your common household name. It took this movie to do it. And it was a situation where Marvel, if they were going to do their own thing as a studio, they had to go to him. You know, they had, they all they had was Iron Man and Captain America and a few other characters. They didn't really even have the Incredible Hulk, but they worked out the deal with Universal to be able to use the Hulk in these things. And, um, and so you had to put your best foot forward, and they did. Robert Downey Jr., will forever be immortalized as Iron Man. He's played that role so well. He's played the role of Tony Stark so incredibly well that when it comes time to recast, we may just have to get a reboot because he has done it that well. My only criticism of the Iron Man franchise, because I'm someone who liked Iron Man too, my only criticism of the Iron Man franchise is they never went all out with his number one villain, the Mandarin. I'm not someone who thinks the Mandarin is the greatest villain of all time. But I do think you miss an opportunity to have an arch nemesis, uh, especially when the villains that he has fought have been killed off in each of his movies. So, uh, so I feel like there was a misstep there. But you know, overall, the first Iron Man was outstanding. Jeff Bridges, Tony Stark, uh, even Gwyneth Paltrow, I love as Pepper Potts. I just, I really watching it the other day just reminded me of how good that movie was. And and almost flawless. That movie is almost flawless as as a superhero film and just as a movie to watch. Uh, number four is The Incredible Hulk. I put this above Iron Man simply because I'm such a fan of The Incredible Hulk. He's my favorite Marvel character, always has been, and um, and and so that that uh, heart had to put him above Iron Man. Uh, a lot of people kind of, you know, they they dog the movie a little bit. It's kind of a um, <clears throat> it's kind of a, uh, a, I don't know. It's it's a kind of a forgotten film by some people. Uh, a lot of people just kind of write it off, and I really feel like this movie was hurt by Ang Lee's Hulk. It was so close in proximity. I mean, you're talking what four years in between these two movies that I think a lot of people still had the taste of that Ang Lee Hulk movie in their mouth. And not that that movie's all bad. There's some great stuff in that Ang Lee Hulk movie that they didn't do in The Incredible Hulk that I kind of wish they had. Particularly, well, the only one... Well, okay, one thing, the leaping. We never really saw the Hulk cover those massive distances uh, through through leaping the way that we got to see it in the, uh, in the Ang Lee films. Uh, and everything he did was a little bit more powered down. You know, in Ang Lee's Hulk, he beats up a tank, for crying out loud. And, and, the, and the whole military... Versus the Hulk montage and, and Ang Lee stuff was great. But The Incredible Hulk, just watching it the other night, when the scene where he sees Betty and she sees him, and he runs out and he hides behind the dumpster, and he's just sitting there, and there's pain on his eyes as she looks back and forth. And then when she catches up with him on the bridge and she just says, don't go, you know, don't go, oh. 
And I'm sorry if Liv Tyler tells me don't go. I'm not. I'm going to stay wherever she wants me to. But it is the score's really good. It's Craig Armstrong doing the score. They do bring up the original uh, Incredible Hulk theme at one point uh, as he's walking away or, or you know walking alone. Um, but by and large, it's it's a whole different kind of thing. But it is a hummable and and memorable score if you listen to it. You know once or twice. You, you kind of get in very beautiful, too. So uh, The Incredible Hulk's my number four Marvel Cinematic Universe. Number three, ladies and gentlemen, The Avengers. This is the movie that no one ever thought would happen. And I, I love Derek as we were talking about this. Derek Russell, my podcasting partner for life. I remember when this came out and we were talking about it on the phone. He said, there were so many moments in this movie where I thought like they were just going to stop it and come down and tell us, no, you're not supposed to be watching this because we could not believe what we had seen on screen. I remember watching it, and the moment when Hulk's chasing Black Widow down that hallway, and he's just causing all kinds of destruction, and she gets out in the open, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes Thor, who tackles the Hulk, and they start fighting. I, I pee a little. <laughs> because that's one of my favorite fights in all of Marvel Comics, is Hulk versus Thor. And it's one of those it's one of those things that you know they just it, it's a standstill all the time, and you never really know, um, you know who who could win and, and who would lose and that sort of thing. And one of my favorite comic books that I ever owned is is the Mighty Thor number three eighty five, and the whole thing is a flashback tale uh, told with uh, about a fight that Thor had with the Hulk. And it was when Thor, if he threw his hammer away, he had 60 seconds to get back to him or he was going to turn back into Donald Blake. And it was just this great story because the Hulk kind of goads, without realizing because the Hulk is big and dumb, he goads Thor into throwing away his hammer. He's like, you can't do anything without the hammer. And so Thor tosses the hammer uh, and then it comes back to him just in time. And, and it all kind of ends with Thor, you know, just saying, looking around and he's seeing, um, the destruction they caused. And he just realizes, you know, I'm as much of a monster as anybody because I relish this battle. And, you know, Marvel was always doing stuff like that, throwing stuff in. But when they come to blows in that movie, I was just like, this is amazing. And of course, you know, I'm all, that's my secret cap. I'm always angry. And he just talks out because, again, he's my favorite character. So these are the moments that resonated with me. But that thing had just the right amount of humor. When they start fighting in the Battle of New York and they are all doing their own thing, but it's coordinated. And there's a one tracking shot. It starts with Hawkeye and it pans over to Iron Man. He lands down on the bridge where they're fighting and, and does like a little combo move with Cap where he bounces his uh, repulsor beams off of Cap's shield and then flies back up and you see Thor and, and Hulk on top of the big thing. And it's just like, it just cuts around to all of them. It's this great shot. It's just an amazing film. It starts, you know, pretty heavy and it just doesn't really let up. You know, this, the quiet moments are very few and far between and very short and always poignant and always well-placed. It was, it was such a good movie and it, and it was the payoff of the promise of something that had been coming for several years at that point. And, you just, I don't know. I don't know that they'll ever do an Avengers movie as good as that first one, which is, you know, the bane of sequels. You know, the, the, the second one's never as good, or they feel like they have to go bigger and better, and they just 
chips away at the quality of it a little bit. Number two on my list of Marvel Cinematic Universe's movies. Oh, man. Guardians of the Galaxy, ladies and gentlemen. Again, another one of those surprises. Um, it was one of those movies. And look, Guardians. the Guardians I read in the 90s were from the future. They were a whole different group of people. And when they brought the Guardians back uh, several years ago and I was reading, I'm like, who are these people? This is not the Guardians of the Galaxy that I know. Uh, and, but I knew Rocket Raccoon because the first comic book that I ever had and kept was uh, Incredible Hulk number 271, I believe. And in that comic uh, was none other than Rocket Raccoon. And um, I still have that comic to this day. I can't remember anything that happens on it, but it's you know it's one of those covers where the Hulk is holding a panel, and in there is Rocket Raccoon. And back in the day, he didn't look like he looks now. He had like a uh, one of those glass fishbowl space helmets on, and a little vest and some shoes. But uh, he, <laughs> it's his first, and that's the first comic I ever had to keep. Like that, I'm like this will start my collection. I began my collection with Hulk 271, the first appearance of Rocket Raccoon, and. Um, Man, Guardians of the Galaxy is just... I, I'm hard-pressed to find anything in that movie that doesn't work. You know, people complain about the villain. That's one of the things that I've loved about these Marvel Cinematic movies is that, by and large, the movies are about the heroes. So the villains end up taking a bit of a backseat. You know, we don't get into their heads. We don't get all their motivations. And some people may say that's a criticism. But in a world where we glorify villains so much... You know, it's nice to have some movies where the bad guys are just bad guys and um, and the good guys are just having to fight against them kind of situation. Uh, we'll get to where the bad guys aren't necessarily bad guys in my number one, but Guardians of the Galaxy is so good. The soundtrack was out of nowhere. Uh, you know, the idea of using, uh, you know, popular music from the 70s and 80s. Uh, the humor was off the charts. Everyone turned in fantastic performances it was like, even though Chris Pratt had been doing his thing as Andy Dwyer on Parks and Rec, this was kind of like his coming out party of, hey guys, look how good I am. Look how funny I am. Look how I can carry the lead role in this movie. Bautista as Drax, Dave, Dave Bautista is someone else who just, you know, you'd seen The Rock make that transition into acting pretty well. You didn't know how Bautista was going to do, but he stepped into that role. And granted, he didn't have a lot to do, but he he acted you know this wasn't just delivering of lines he had to be confused and intimidating at the same time he had to uh be this man who's driven and there's that moment after he calls ronan to nowhere to uh to have a showdown with him and ronan kicks his butt uh and everything kind of falls apart and rocket's just yelling at him you know he's just he's saying you messed up you shouldn't have done this what are you you know, Drax says, you're right. And that's that's one of those things, like, you expect Drax to kind of argue back with him, but he's like, you're right. This was, you know, I was wrong to do this. And and then they all band together to go save Peter and Gamora, and it's just, oh, so good. And who knew you could love a tree so much? It's Groot. But my number one Marvel Cinematic Universe movie is Captain America Winter Soldier. This movie was one that I was looking forward to, um, I, 
you know, I knew that it was going to be okay. It's, you know, it's Captain America now after post Avengers, he, you know, maybe he's going to be dealing with the man out of time thing. I knew all the secrets of winter soldier. We really tried hard on this show, not to spoil who winter soldier was, even though all over the internet, people were acting like the casual fans knew, you know, but casual fans didn't necessarily know. And so I felt like it was our responsibility to not spoil the identity of the winter soldier. Um, and that ended up not even being the big thing. This movie was a great spy thriller kind of movie. It was the, it was the rise of Hydra. It, it had the emotion of Captain America trying to get through to his friend, the introduction of Sam Wilson as the Falcon, which was fantastic. Um, the intrigue, the different stuff Cap was doing, that elevator scene when he jumps out of the window from three stories up and lands on his shield and keeps going. Uh, it was just... to This movie, for years and years of my life, I judged superhero sequels by Superman 2. Uh, and, that, and that includes like X-Men 2 and Spider-Man 2. Those movies were great and they were incredible follow-ups, better than the first movies of their series. But for me, Superman 2 was always it for me. And when I saw this movie, when I walked out of the theater, I said, I am now more invested in this than I was Superman 2. This movie has usurped Superman 2 as my standard by which all superhero sequels will now be judged. And I, it's it, right now, as of now, as of this recording, stands as my favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. However, from all the buzz I'm hearing, from everything that I've seen... You know, uh, as far as the people who've seen it and, and what I've heard from people who've seen it, Civil War may very well take over. Now, I've been very vocal on this podcast that I've never liked the idea of Civil War. I've never liked the heroes fighting one another. That's never been my thing. But <clears throat> the buzz is great, and I'm hoping that it lives up in it, and my expectations for this movie have been greatly raised. So looking forward to it. I'm actually going... I'm actually so excited for it. I'm going to a preview night showing of it on Thursday rather than waiting till Friday or Saturday. I'm going to brave crowds and all kinds of stuff to go see this movie on Thursday. And I've already bought tickets to turn around and go see it again on Friday with Scott Rifen, uh, who many of you know, and I, I may even try to talk him into since it's Friday night, uh, breaking out a recorder and sitting down and doing some thoughts afterwards uh, about it. So, uh, but Captain America Civil <clears throat> Captain America Winter Soldier, my number one Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Now we get into the DC. DC was a little bit harder, guys, because there's not as many DC movies. So it is what it is. My number 10 DC movie, and you guys can laugh at me if you want to, but it's Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. In fact, in fact, if it weren't for the fact that I want people to like me so bad that um that I'm that I don't want to say things that are going to make people mad. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's why this is a safe place to geek out because um because I just want people to like me. And so I'm scared to cause too much controversy. Uh it it comes from being a an unpopular kid most of my life. It comes from being a fat kid, guys. I just want people to like me. Please like me. Uh so but I, I could not not put this on here. Superman for the quest for peace. I know it's not a good movie. I know the effects are bad. This, but it has such a sentimental special place in my heart that it is a kryptonite movie for me. I can sit down and watch it at any time. And the truth of this movie is that if you will, if you'll watch it and look for the good, there are moments in this movie where you can totally see the heart trying to come through. And I think had there been a production company other than Canon, 
Canon Globus having the rights of this at that time, that it may have been a better film. We may have gotten something a little bit better, a little bit different. Uh, number nine, I put Batman v Superman, which quite honestly, I like Superman for the quest for peace better than, but I didn't want to put it as my number nine movie over Batman v Superman. As much junk as I've given this movie, uh, the truth is, is it's not terrible. It's not everything I want it to be. Um, but what was good about it was really good. So Batman v Superman comes in at number nine. Number eight for me is Man of Steel. Man of Steel had wonderful casting. Um, and it had all the players and all the pieces. I, I even like the story of it. It just, there were moments where it fell short. I think that the structure of the film was a little bit off for me. I will never, I'll never really like the casting or not the casting, but I'll never like the choices that the writers made for Jonathan Kent. I, I, I've, I have not been able to come around to that in, in these many years. Um, number that was eight. Number seven, Batman Forever, Jim Carrey, Tommy Lee Jones, Val Kilmer, Nicole Kidman, Chris O'Donnell is Robin. Anyhow, 1995, ladies and gentlemen, it was a great time to be alive. This movie, I still like to this day. Is it over the top? Yes. Do I like the design of the Batmobile? Not so much. Do I like Val Kilmer as Batman and Bruce Wayne? Yes, I do. Um... This was Joel Schumacher trying to take the, the Tim Burton design and the feel a little bit further toward the Batman 66 kind of stuff. But um, Jim Carrey as the Riddler was great. Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face playing kind of a Jokerish play on Two-Face was was good. And uh, I just, I, I like this movie. I really do. I, it's better than Batman Returns. Uh, so that's Batman Forever at number... 10, 9, 8, 7, okay, number 6, The Dark Knight. Now, this movie, guys, this movie should be higher than it is, and I don't know why it's not when I made this list, other than the last 15 minutes. The last 15 minutes are what kind of kills it for me. I feel like they missed an opportunity to, to really have an engaging Harvey Two-Face as the main villain for the final film. Um, even though Nolan and company had a story they were going for, and that's fine, that's great, that's their story to tell. And I'm, and I'm glad for him to do so. Uh, I was just like, this is the chance for Batman to step into the light, but rather they pushed him further back into the shadows. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker is the stuff of legend. And, um, you know, and it, and it was the perfect fit for what they were doing. I saw this movie three or four times in the theater. Uh, got to see it with my good friend Marcus. I think that's episode 15 way back of Geek Out Loud. We gushed over it then. I'll gush over it now. Um, you know, I really, this, this movie is, until you get to those last 10 or 15 minutes, it, it is a, a perfect film. I, Dark Knight is great. It is fantastic. Uh, and, and it, but however, it is behind my number five movie, 1989's Batman. The reason that is above Dark Knight for me really just comes from sentiment, sentimentality. It was 1989. I was 12 years old. I was a comic book reader. No one else in my life was a comic book reader. No one that I knew was a comic book reader. And then Batman hit, and the world went Batman crazy. Prince is busting out Bat Dance. Um, the uh, the the people are wearing the shirts all over the place. It was just this. It, they were playing the old TV show on the on television on all these channels and stuff. They were having Batman reunion shows, and it was just like 
it was amazing to see and be a part of and then to see the movie and to honestly think, wow, they took this so seriously. Now you watch it, it's like, no, they didn't. But Jack Nicholson's Joker was the perfect Joker for that movie. He did an outstanding job uh, as the Joker. And, you know, I wasn't into DC Comics at the time. I was, I was a Marvel kid, so I didn't realize they had changed the Joker's origins, so that didn't bother me at all. Uh, it had to be pointed out to me that Batman uses guns, you know, when the, when the guns come up out of the Batmobile and everything, and, of course, he shoots at the Joker and all. But this was, uh, I just, I really love this movie. And when the videotape came out, we wore it out at my house. It was always playing. 1989's Batman is number five. Number four for me on my DC movies top ten, Superman Returns. What? How is that above Dark Knight? Well, it's above the Dark Knight because I love Superman. And I really did enjoy this movie when I saw it in the theater. I saw it maybe three or four times in the theater the year it came out. Um, <clears throat> I recognize the problems with it. I'm not blind to the issues. But to watch it, it's beautifully shot. That Man, the, the scenes of him and Lois flying and uh, going up in front of the Daily Planet, the saving, there's never been another sequence quite like him saving the airplane. It, that is just a phenomenal sequence that I can watch over and over and over again. Absolutely, absolutely loved it. Um, the kid thing was a little weird, you know, him having a kid with her that she didn't remember or maybe did. I don't know. See, that and that was the mystery that, that could have played out in, in sequels and everything. But, you know, it, sadly it's not to be, but that's fine. It is what it is. Uh, so that's my number four. Number three, Batman Begins. This is a movie that I didn't think I was going to like because it was early on, it was like Batman 5. Who's the villain? The Joker. Oh my gosh, it's all going to be all about fear, blah, blah, blah. And then as things kind of came into sharper focus, realizing it was a reboot of the franchise, what we thought had been taken seriously in 1989, Christopher Nolan and company took very earnestly in 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 the year 2005 when Batman Begins re was released and nothing will ever beat that last shot of him flipping the card over and it's the Joker card and it's like I'll look into it um good stuff really really great origin story for Batman um I just I love that I think it's a great movie I think it's a very superb movie my number two film is Superman the movie Superman the movie from 1978 Christopher Reeve and uh, Gene Hackman, Marlon Brando as Jarrell, Margot Kidder as um, Lois Lane. Uh, it's it's a movie that's been with me as long as Star Wars, guys. Uh, this is this is a movie that is in my DNA, and um, and that sequence, the, the sequence of saving Lois as she's fallen and then catching the helicopter. You know, I, I've I've got you, Miss. You've got me. Who's got you? Um, it, I love this movie, and I make no apologies for it. I, you know, it does it hold up? I don't think so. I don't know for a casual movie viewer these days that it might that that it would hold up. I don't know. Um, that's not an experiment I've ever engaged in. But for me, this movie completely holds up, and um, and it, because it's because I love it. You know, I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to is I love it. So it holds up. But my number one DC movie, my top 10 DC films is Superman 2. You've got the you've got the Kryptonian villains. You've got Superman losing his powers again. And I'm not talking about the Richard Donner cut, guys. I'm talking about the Richard Lester cut. 
here's what's amazing to me is for years I knew that there were sequences when I got the when I got the DVD <clears throat> and I was watching when I first bought the DVD of Superman 2 and I'm watching I'm like there seems to be some stuff missing because ABC would actually when they aired it would would stick other stuff in and and so there's a super cut out there somewhere of like all this different stuff that's in there I didn't know about the history of Richard Donner and and the Salkinds. I didn't know all that stuff was going on with them and I you know I I was unaware and then when they do have that Richard Donner cut come out, everyone's just like, oh, this is the best. This is so much better than the Richard Lester cut. You know what? I'm going to, I will say this, the scene with he and Jorel in the Richard Donner cut, good stuff, because you kind of get the idea of how his powers came back. Everything else, okay, that's fine. You know, I, great. But for me, what I grew up with was the original Superman 2, as it was released in theaters for the most part, and I loved it. My favorite scene, one of my favorite cinematic scenes of all time, is there at the end when he's in the in the molecule chamber and the lights are on out here. He was safe in there. And he steps out and he's all playing it like, oh man, I've lost all my power. And Zod's like, now kneel before Zod. Now, take my hand and swear eternal allegiance to Zod. And Superman grabs his hand and he begins to squeeze and that lone trumpet just starts up and Zod's like, oh, 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 I get chills and I'm not even hearing it. I'm just thinking about it. And it's just such a great scene. It's so awesome. And then Nan tries to fly and he can't. And then Lois punches Earth and you're a real pain in the neck. And it was just, it was a good movie, guys. I, I've always loved it. And so those last two are movies that I feel like have been with me forever and always. And I will always remember the Superman 2 uh, ABC Movie of the Week kind of opening, you know, they'd be like, next on the ABC Movie of the Week. Um, it was just like, you know, the, the the star thing coming at you and everything. And um, let me see. Maybe they have it on YouTube. Yes. Terrible quality, but listen. This is what I remembered all my life. An ABC premiere presentation. Let's go to my place. Superman falls in love. Thank God. Loses his powers. Superman, can you hear me? And battles three super villains for possession of the Earth. Revenge. 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 Now we're cooking, huh? A three-hour spectacular. Would you care to step outside? Gene Hackman, Marco Kidder, and Christopher Reeve. Man, this is going to be good. Superman 2 next. Our ABC special movie presentation is brought to you by Nissan. Fillers of high, <laughs> high, high quality cars. And drugs. Oh my gosh, guys, that's forever in my brain as as how Superman two opens up with that ABC Monday night movie, a Superman pr a premiere, an ABC world premiere. Um, yeah, I loved it, and and will to my to my dying day. I'm going to blow through the Star Wars run, the Star Wars challenge really quickly uh, without getting into too much because we've talked about this all the time. Uh, number seven, I feel like Attack of the Clones is the weakest of the Star Wars movies, though I still love it. There's so much to love about it. 
Number six for me is The Force Awakens. Uh, I, I, I did not have the, the super excited reaction, I think, that everyone else did. I still love it, though. I love the new characters. I love the story. Looking forward to seeing where they go with it. Number six, and this is where people are going to call shenanigans on me, The Phantom Menace, man. You can't take away the feelings I felt in 1999 and still remember every time I watch The Phantom Menace. I think it's a great movie. I think it's a great beginning to um, to the downfall of, of Anakin. Uh, I think that it sets up a lot of stuff that we still talk about to this day in Star Wars lore, in Star Wars philosophy, in Star Wars theology. Uh, it was was broken out in the phantom menace uh revenge of the sith uh is my number four there uh revenge of the sith is fantastic um i totally buy into the fall of anakin and uh could talk about it for hours and hours and have on several podcasts number three for me is empire strikes back i love the empire strikes back uh it's not uh, everyone else puts it up there as number one i feel like and i think it sam whitwer made this very plain. I'm going to give credit where credit is due on one of his Rebel Force Radio commentaries that people like Empire so much, many people, not all people, but but there is a theory that his theory, he postulates this theory, that people like Empire so much because they project what they know from Jedi onto Empire. And uh, especially with as far as the character of Vader is concerned. But I love Empire. I, I think that it's great. I think that um, it is one of the best and it's a classic. And it did something that I don't know that a movie had ever done in, in, in the way that it ended and the twist that was there and um, a twist that was meaningful and would matter and, and carry great weight into the, the following film. The original Star Wars is my number two favorite Star Wars movie. It's the one that started it all. Um, I, I feel sometimes a responsibility to say this is my favorite Star Wars movie, even though it may not be. But I do love it, and I can quote it backwards and forwards because it is, it's the one that started it all. And my favorite Star Wars movie is Jedi. It's a sentimental favorite. It is a, um, it's an actual favorite. It, I, I love Ewoks. I love the story that's being told. I love the whole opening, uh, you know, half of the movie with the, Jabba, with the Jabba's Palace stuff and the fight that goes on there. The indoor battle is awesome. The, the space battle around the Death Star is just incredible, and it was incredible to look at. It still is to this day. And, of course, what's happening there in the throne room with Luke and Vader and the Emperor is just, uh, is just fantastic. So, uh, yeah, so um, that's, my, that's my seven Star Wars films in that order. Um, he asked me as a challenge to do all three universes together. Well, those seven movies, just keep those seven in the list in the order that they are, uh, with clones being number seven. And then we'll throw, uh, number eight in there would be, um, number eight would be, uh, guardians of the galaxy. Number nine would be, um, Superman two and 10 would probably be, uh, Captain America winter soldier. Maybe not in that final order, but guys, it's it's Star Wars. You're not going to get me to rank them anywhere in the midst of these other movies. So, and then as kind of a uh, as kind of a tack onto things, I, I figured I would really quickly do um, do my uh, do my top ten cartoons from the '80s. These are not Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, these are not. Um, these are just cartoons that were around in the '80s that I loved. Number ten, ladies and gentlemen, uh, is this bad boy from days of long ago. 
from uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. The legend of Voltron, defender of the universe. A mighty robot, loved by good, feared by evil. As Voltron's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. On planet Earth, a galaxy alliance was formed. Together with the good planets of the solar system, they maintained peace throughout the universe. Until a new horrible menace threatened the galaxy. Voltron was needed once more. This is the story of the super force of space explorers. Specially trained and sent by the Alliance to bring back Voltron, Defender of the Universe. Oh, man. You know, I talked a little bit about Nicktoons Voltron Force earlier on, but Voltron is a, is a cartoon. I didn't get to watch it that much, but every episode was pretty much the same, even though they had kind of an underlying mythology to it. And apparently it was very edited down for U.S. television. But it was pretty much the same thing. Um, the Voltron team would be hanging out. Everything would be peaceful. And King Zarkon, or Prince Lothor, would decide they wanted to attack the Voltron force. And they would send a monster that was huge. And the lions would try to fight it. And they couldn't. And it'd be like, okay, team, lock S foils in attack position, or whatever they said. And uh, form feet and legs, form arms and body, and I'll form the head. There was another Voltron made up of vehicles where they formed feet and legs and arms and torso, and I'll form the head. Uh, but they had like your sub team, your air team, your water team, your air team, and your ground team vehicles on that. A uh, lot more players involved in what was going on with that particular Voltron. But I like the Lion Force Voltron. Uh, I thought they were they, they were the way to go. Stand by. All right. Uh, my number, and I am looking forward to the Netflix thing. My number nine happens to be this little ditty. Well, why is it not playing? There we go. lead the mission and Spectrum's got such super vision that was a terrible version of that <clears throat> let me try to do better you gotta gotta get your mask <laughs> 
Oh man, this was just a cool concept. This is one of those things that captured my mind as uh, my imagination as a kid, and um, and still does this day. You know, not just the cars and the vehicles that would turn into other vehicles, but the idea of those masks all having something they do differently. And they're really not masks; they were helmets, but they all did something differently and um, just looked cool, uh, almost Mandalorian. In, in the look of some of them, but uh, yeah, Mask was great, man. It would come on when it was first airing. For me, it came on in the morning, so it would be something I would watch uh, while getting ready to go to school. It, it didn't happen in the afternoons uh, for me, but it was a daily show in the mornings while I was getting ready for school. Another one that was happening while I'd be getting ready for school, um, really this one was playing while I was eating breakfast because uh, I think it came on like 7 a.m., uh, this, uh, how can you not love this one? just want to point out really quickly that the 80s cartoon shows had some of the greatest themes. Listen to this. Go, Gadget, go! Boom, boom, ba-da-ba-da, Inspector Gadget. And then old Dr. Club be like, I'll get you, Gadget, next time. Next time. And, you know, the little cat, mad cat. Um, Felix052112 in the chat says, Matt Tracker was a G.I. Joe character. They did make him into a G.I. Joe character. I actually have that figure on a card. Um, and uh, it was cool. Uh, Wendy says, Inspector Gadget made me crazy. I don't know. I And she says she's a little bit older than me, so maybe that's why. I just liked watching him do all the stuff that he did. I liked, you know, the from the go-go gadget arms to the different, you know, like he had his arms, his legs. His legs were more like springs. His arms were more like just metal rods. He had the gadget copter, the gadget umbrella. He had a hand that was holding a saw that would come out of his hat. He had uh, his his uh, coat would blow up, you know, not not explode, but like inflate, I should say. His coat would inflate, um, and then the car would go from like that van-looking station wagon thing to like the police car, the go-go gadget mobile. And of course, Penny and Brain were always the ones really solving the crime. Chief was—it was always like, "Where's he going to be hiding this time?" And the message, this message will self-destruct, and uh, <clears throat> and the chief would always get blown up with that exploding paper. So uh, it was funny. It was fun. You, you always kind of wondered, would you ever see who Dr. Claw was? And we never did. But man, I just, it was part of my daily ritual. I, I loved Inspector Gadget. And um, still do to this day, I guess. I, it was funny. You know, I mean, it, it, was, uh, it was Don Adams doing the voice. You know, of course, he doesn't get smart. And later when Nick at Night would begin showing, when Nick at Night became a thing and uh, they had Get Smart on, it was fun to discover that show. And discovered Don Adams, you know, as uh, agent, whatever he was, ninety was he ninety nine, um, you know, doing his thing, talking into the shoe and everything. 
My, now, my mom never let, let us watch Thundercats. It, it was this weird thing my mom had about animals and people being mixed. But we could watch this, and I did watch the heck out of this show, which was kind of a Thundercats ripoff, but not quite. In a way, we'll talk about it. Listen to this guitar. Now, granted, it may be more of a keytar than a than a guitar, but still. Well, you can't give them you can't give them too much of a a good grade on their on their lyrics. Wings of silver, nerves of steel, partly metal, partly real. All right, but the the the, the groove was there, man. In these '80s cartoons, they, it really was. I've not honestly seen the cartoon that has the feel of some of these '80s cartoons, as far as the intros go these days and i'm an old man i don't watch as many cartoons as i used to but you know a lot of the ones i watch just kind of have their title card come up or um you know even into the 90s with animaniacs and stuff they had a catchy song to sing and that sort of stuff but these these and the silverhawks i never understood what was going on it's like are you in the same universe as the thundercats because i feel like they were and if they weren't they should have been but they were like some type of intergalactic police crew and uh, they were fighting, um, oh, it wasn't, let's see, who was the bad guy? Who was the bad guy in Silverhawks? I want to say it was Monstar. And, yeah, because he'd go, Moonstar of Limbo, give me the might, the muscle of Monstar. And he would do what Mumra would do. And Mumra would say, ancient spirits of evil, transform this withering heap into Mumra. But, <clears throat> but, um, so it was the same kind of concept. It really was. It was just a different setting and, you know, different character, mo character models. But basically, in all of these cartoons, man, when you had a team... It was all pretty much the same. You had your weapons tough guy. You had your cool laid back people. You had your um, your comic relief. You had your leader that everyone liked. And then you had some kid or kids in the case of the Thundercats, um, you know, who were who were part of the team who would either get in trouble or were learning the the um, were learning the lesson for that week. But I never got to really watch. Thundercats as a kid, and when I tried to watch them when they were like on Netflix or I'd borrowed the DVDs or rented them or something, man, the first episode, like, Lino is naked most of the time. It was just really awkward. 
but here's that theme song. We had a request in the chat to play it. It's not over. We gotta meet our villains. Thundercats. Sword of Omen. Give me sight beyond sight. I guess that'll be an honorable mention. Because I never really got to watch it, never really got into it. But that was my request from Sci-Fi Now in the chat at Mixer.com slash Goliverse. You can be part of the Mixer Zoo crew by hanging out with us when we're live at Mixer.com slash Goliverse. But, but Thundercats and Silverhawks were kind of interchangeable. You know, it's just change the setting, change the animal, <laughs> and boom, you've got it. We should have had a Thundercats-Silverhawks team up. And maybe in this world of shared universes one day, We'll get it. By the way, speaking of Thundercats, they relaunched the Thundercats on Cartoon Network for a while. I enjoyed the show. It apparently didn't get very many ratings because it didn't last very long. Uh, this next one, that let's see, Thunder uh, Silverhawks was my number. Can't count. One, two, three, four, ten, nine, eight. So that was my number seven. Number six does take us to Saturday morning. And uh, and this one doesn't really have any words to it, but again, you know, here's here's the intro for you, just because I feel like uh, we got we've started something, so we have to continue. Let's play a game in the chat. Let's see who can pick this out. I don't know if he says it. I think he may say it. His amazing friend. Okay, he said it. Iceman and Firestar. amazing friend i guess the man had to say it the the narrator had to say it because uh you know kids watching there might have been some young kids who couldn't read yet but spider-man and his amazing friends was a saturday morning cartoon that was so 
rare for me to get to watch that I just have great memories of when I did get to watch it. I thought it was so cool the way Iceman would ice up. Firestar was actually a character created for that cartoon that made her way into Marvel Comics canon, uh, to use that term. Not that it was used back then, but she made her way into the Marvel Comics universe proper. And, um, and interestingly enough, both Firestar and Iceman were mutants. So there was an episode or two that crossed over, and, the, and you actually went to uh, Xavier's School for Gifted Children, and you hung out with the X-Men. They had some cool villains you know, from the comics, and but they also had your episodes where it's like, this is not a comic book villain, but it was okay because it was these three people teamed up together. There was a, pic, there was a poster of Hulk on the wall. They had that cool room that they would press the button, and all the different equipment would, you know, the, the coffee table would flip upside down. The walls would turn around. There'd be like computer equipment and everything. It was early 80s Hanna-Barbera, and it was Hanna-Barbera doing a lot of things that felt like the style of some of their older stuff. Uh, but the, but I always, I love Spider-Man and his amazing friends. It was, it was just such a fun thing to get to watch because so rarely would I get to watch it on Saturday mornings because either it would be preempted for a sports game of some sort or we would leave to go somewhere before it came on. And so when I did get to watch it, I'm like, yes, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Love it. Now we get into the meat of things, guys. Our top five. Top five. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Come on. He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe is there. I want to know, listen, you know what? This is something that no one's, I don't know that anyone has done. And I haven't done the, the legwork to know if it's been done or not. But I feel like, well, what's going on there? Uh, I feel like that someone needs to find out who sang that song and and needs to sit down and do an interview with him. Was it? Did they just have studio people and this guy just kind of got, you know, tapped to sing it? Did he get residuals from that theme? And I'll tell you this, the, the G.I. Joe movie intro with that theme is, um, oh my gosh, I, we've talked about it before. It is so good. And then the rest of the movie happens. And um, Hello. Well, what's going on? No, I haven't. No, our... shut up. Gosh. Such an amateur. Um. They did a whole like music video with this thing, where uh, where where it opens up at like the Statue of Liberty, and um, you got the Cobra theme that hits. Here we go. the Statue of Liberty. There are fireworks going on off over the place. It's glorious, man. Balloons are rising up. I think it was like some kind of anniversary. Spreading 
far and wide. Who can turn the tide? G.I. Joe. Oh, wow. Came into it. <laughs> oh, I just remember thinking that was so awesome, man. It's like, yes, who can turn the tide? And they just start, they go into the theme, and it's just like so cool. It was the coolest way to ever go into that G.I. Joe theme. And, um, man. Uh, it's just so great. But G.I. Joe was a fun cartoon it, because you had the toys and you were looking for all the new cool stuff. Like, it it did its work as a toy commercial. And people who complain about that, are, they always say, like, oh, yeah, they were just toy, they were giant toy commercials. And they, and they always have said with a bit of derision. But I don't think so because what was cool to me was having a toy and then seeing it actually on the cartoon. Um and they had such a huge cast of characters. And it was like, who's going to be on this one? Oh, I hope my favorite one's on this one. I hope this guy's on that one. Uh, I remember for years, once the first time I ever saw Gary Sinise in a movie, thinking, he sounds like Shipwreck. And, um, you know, and do they have, and I have this figure, and everyone loves Snake Eyes. And, uh, you know, and, and but they had some great designs for these characters. And it was just such a fun show, man. And it was so cool to watch back in the day. And it, and it comes down, for me, it came down to the amount of characters and just who would be in what episode. And, oh, I hope Tomax and Zaymod are in this one. Even though, I don't know why I like them so much. I just did Zartan. Is Zartan going to be this? Will he get in the sun? Will, he, will his skin turn color? You know, what's under that mask that Destro's wearing? And, um, you know, you hope they'd get into some of the more colorful characters here and there. Or at least I did. And... And it was just an adventure show, you know. You just you couldn't help but love it. It was such a, it was such a product of its time and such an '80s thing because of the adventure, because the good guys were always winning out, and you know Cobra was always messing up, and there was always dissension amongst the ranks of Cobra. You know, Destro was always like Cobra Commander, you're a buffoon, Destro, and you don't speak to me that way. You know that kind of stuff would be going on, and and then when they brought in Serpentor, oh man, it was over then, and he had this whole new weird yell that he would do and i didn't appreciate it one bit because i always like when cobra be like cobra you know that kind of thing so loved the 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 gi joe my number five uh cartoon from the 80s my number four cartoon from the 80s oh does it get much better of Eternia and defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull! Man, you can't beat holding aloft your magic sword and saying by the power of Grayskull and then hitting that I have the power. It was the sword and sorcery. It was science fiction. It was it was what Thor would be later on for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, here's the thing. I've not watched G.I. Joe in ages. I've tried to watch He-Man. He-Man doesn't quite hold up. If I'm being honest, it just doesn't hold up. The rebooted cartoon of He-Man that Cartoon Network did early in the 2000s, I thought was fantastic. It, to me, it offered a, a more consistent mythology and a, and a through line with its stories and that sort of thing. And I loved it. But it, again, it didn't get much 
rate didn't get very many good ratings and so you know it was canceled after a few seasons or maybe they just had a three season plan for it but i feel like they had more to go and he-man was one of the first places we saw that cinematic universe um you know that that combined shared universe because when when the she-ra toys were introduced they introduced her as he-man's sister who had been separated from him at birth she and adam had been separated at birth by the evil hordak and man the horde hordak and his evil horde were incredibly cool villains you know that rivaled skeletor and beast man and merman and and you you want to talk about a cast of characters you get into looking at some of the he-man stuff and now looking back it's a little hokey but the concept was cool and they just let their imagination run wild they're like well we need someone's kind of a plant all right let's do moss man uh, what kind of animals can we use? Well, let's do skunk or, you know, let's do, or stink or was his name. He looked like a skunk. Let's do a, uh, let's do a two headed guy, you know, let's do, and he's, we'll call him too bad. And let's do, um, let's do a, a guy with many faces. We'll call him Manny faces. Yeah. Ram man, Mechanic, uh, just so many different characters that were cool. And, um, you know, in their concept and the fact, and that's what I think was so great about this property and this show is that the imagination was just running wild. The stories weren't the best in the world. And again, it doesn't really hold up. The animation was that filmation animation that just does not hold up at all and was definitely lower quality and cheaper than what Hanna-Barbera or Deke uh, was doing at the time um, or Warner Brothers. But it was it was the it was the idea of how imaginative just the characters were and what when you got these toys and when you got these 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 characters in your hands the the adventures you could have with them um and oh man if adam got separated from that sword and he needed to turn into he-man or what if he turned into he-man in front like he had the whole secret identity thing going you know even though he looked just like him There wasn't much difference in Adam and He-Man. A tan and and a lack of a shirt was basically it. But you just, you loved it as a kid because it was so good. Um, That's number four. Number three, I believe, for me, yes, is is part of a, a... basically a franchise of cartoons Saturday morning cartoons is how I knew these guys. And I picked this one because it was the one that was more in my wheelhouse. I'd seen all the other incarnations of this particular, um, show, but this is the one that was my generation's version of this.
legendary superpower show. Super Friends, a legendary superpower show introduced to us Firestorm. Introduced us kids that weren't comic book readers. Introduced Firestorm. Um, and it was glorious. They finally had some... With Challenge of the Super Friends, they had brought in a lot of the villains from the comic book. So it wasn't the Super Friends versus some weird alien uh, you know, species. And it wasn't the Super Friends... Uh, trapped in some weird dimension, or it wasn't the Super Friends, um, you know, fighting some global threat of ancient proportions, that kind of thing. It was the Super Friends versus uh, versus their nemeses, you know, that they had from the comics. Well, Super Friends, the legendary superpower show, brought in Dark Side, and um, and it would actually play into the next season. next season which they would not call the super friends but they'd call the superpowers team and this was partly due to the line of toys from kenner which had some some really good success for a couple of years called the superpowers line of toys um but the superpowers team the galactic guardians would in, introduce uh cyborg as well and so he and firestorm would be like the young kids on the team and that sort of thing and again they were fighting dark side they had an updated version of brainiac that was on that show so those two seasons of shows they both were right there in my wheelhouse they were what i would be watching on saturday mornings in 84 and 85 uh so the super friends that clocks in as my number three cartoon and so and i mean look we still to this day you know, I mean, like it, I use a version of the Super Friends intro for Geek Out Loud for crying out loud. So, um, I, I, I this this is one of those shows. It was one of the first ones where you got to see all these heroes together. You know, Marvel cartoons weren't necessarily doing that. They did a little bit with, like I said, with Spider Man and his Amazing Friends. They'd visit the X Men. One thing I forgot to mention uh, with Spider Man and his Amazing Friends is there was another cartoon they would kind of play. Uh, as I remember it, they were. Um, they were, uh, uh, they would alternate which one showed, uh, with Spider Man, his amazing friends, and the Incredible Hulk cartoon that was on in the early 80s. Um, which again, I really dug, and it just you know, it had a cool little opening of the Hulk doing some stuff, and you'd see Bruce Banner turn into the Hulk, but I don't even think that the Hulk fought. I'm not sure if he fought his bad guys in that or not. I, I don't know if the leader and the abomination and all those people were in there. I know Betty was a part of things and maybe Rick Jones, um, but uh, but I don't I don't quite rem I don't remember it all that well as much as I remember Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I just know that I like the Hulk and they had a cartoon that would play every now and again. But so Super Friends was really the first cartoon though to have all these characters together, you know, and that started way back in the '70s. Um, with just your Superman and Aquaman and Batman and Wonder Woman, and then they'd throw in Robin, 
And, uh, of course, they had Marvin and Wendy in the Wonder Dog, and then they had Zan and Jane of the Wonder Twins, and then they got into the Challenge of the Super Friends, and then, you know, you hit that uh, Superpowers, Legendary Superpowers show and, and Galactic Guardians and stuff. So, love the Super Friends. But, the guys, edging out the Super Friends in the number two spot, and I say this with no shame whatsoever... <laughs> babies now listen i'm a grown man and i'm not ashamed to say that i wish this cartoon could make it out on dvd in some form or another i love the muppet babies this was a must watch every saturday morning on cbs for me and i did not miss it i you know because you never knew you you may get a superman reference you may get a star wars clip they did a whole star wars episode um it was always funny you know you always wondered there were episodes where they would sneak out of the nursery into other parts of the house. Um, Bunsen and Beaker would come over every now and again. You even had Statler and Waldorf show up at, at one time, you know, as the uncles or whatever. But I, um, I will defend Muppet Babies in my dying day. And like most hints and properties of the time, it holds up. Uh, it is it is a funny show, and I mean, it obviously made for kids, but um, it was it was it was a little bit higher level humor than what most stuff was going on at the time and it was it was made to last in some ways you know it wasn't the though the references though they do indiana jones and star wars the the movie references they make and the king kong stuff end up being timeless because they're referencing timeless movies um if this show were still going today there'd be jurassic park references and independence day references and um you know now the superhero movies that are out there references but I, but they were real smart to stick to things that would be timeless, and because it's a cartoon style and stuff doesn't really matter. Even the even the intro, you know, the the, the intro music to it is not rock and rolly or or any of the other like any of the other stuff we've heard. It's got kind of that '50s '60s feel to it, which makes it a little more timeless. And so I I hope they're able to get this thing out to us on DVD or streaming one day because I would I will gobble it up in a heartbeat, man. Uh, so that's my number two cartoon from the 80s. And uh, finally, ladies and gentlemen, my number one cartoon from the 80s is this. Turn up the music, Steve. Turn it up. Oh, come on. I can get a better version than that going. That just makes me sad that that just happened. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not a, I am not a good producer, and I apologize for my lack of ability in doing anything right.
I can do even better than that. Here we go. Now let's jam out. Yeah! Ladies and gentlemen, Lion with the Transformers theme. Oh man, God, now this is from Transformers the movie, obviously, and but I this show they did so many like multi-part things. They had and, and so did GI Joe. GI Joe did like mini series, you know, but Transformers did several of those throughout their throughout the course of their of their show, and and Transformers the movie greatly impacted what would come in the seasons following it with Rodimus Prime and the crew, and of course the return of Optimus Prime, that sort of thing. This is a show to me that still stands up. The animation's not always great. There are actually some interesting errors and mistakes in some of the animation and and characters that end up being colored the same sometimes that aren't supposed to be, or one character's talking with someone else's voice and that sort of thing, or sometimes the voice doesn't match up or sync up. But man, these this this cartoon was for, for the longest time in my life. It was Star Wars, Transformers. I mean, that's how it went. I loved the Transformers as a kid. Still do. The mythology is is a great mythology that, quite frankly, they haven't, you know, they haven't tapped into as well as they could in the Michael Bay films, you know, but they've done what they've done, and, and those movies have made money, and so much so they've made four different movies. But, um, man, I love the Transformers back in the day. And this year marks the 30th anniversary of Transformers the movie, and we're trying to get a special guest on to come talk about uh, Transformers, um, but haven't haven't been able to make things happen yet. And still trying, still trying before con season hits because this guy's going to be very busy once con season gets into full swing. And uh, and so I, I really hope we're able to hope hope we're able to get him on because he's actually written some Transformers books and that sort of thing. So hopefully we can get this guy on. But I tell you what, man, that that, that cartoon. And again, because of the amount of characters, you know, you never knew who you were going to see on what cartoon, and you, and that's kind of how you developed your favorites. Oh, I like the ones with Omega Supreme, or I like the ones with Jetfire, or I like the ones where you know the Constructed Cons are there, the Aerial Bots, or the Dinobots, or you know, late in later years, you know, the uh, the the Stunticons, or the the uh, the Protectabots, or you know, even the Predacons, or whatever the case may be. That you know, you'd see these things, and you would pick your favorite characters and you'd hope they'd be on there. And, you know, there were always those staples that you knew were going to be on some episodes, your Soundwave, your Megatron, your Optimus Prime, uh, your Rodimus Prime, your Blur, your, um, you know, all the, the gang, man. Oh, it's just so great. It was such a fun show. It was exciting. There was, there always seemed to be really high stakes. Um, Optimus, you know, at one point Megatron's going to destroy the earth to bring uh, Cybertron into where earth is and that sort of thing. So, number one of all time, you know, in the eighties has to be transformers. Now there are so many cartoons I could give honorable mentions to that, you know, didn't get any love that, that came on and went off the list back and forth. Things like Smurfs and gummy bears and, 
you know, even though those aren't like the action cartoons, you can't deny the impact that Smurfs had on the eighties. And even on me, I'd watch the Smurfs. I mean, I think they did, as I recall, it felt like they did an hour block on NBC back in the day. Gummy bears was a cartoon that I absolutely loved to watch. It was the first one that would come on in the morning and I would, you know, I'd eat that mess up, loved it, loved the theme song and everything that went along with it. Um, and then in the 80s, there were a lot of cartoons they just threw at the wall that didn't quite stick. You're talking about there with your Mr. T cartoons. Your Gary Coleman had a cartoon. Uh, the Punky Brewster cartoon. Rubik's Cube cartoon. Turbo Teen. Uh, when you get to your afternoon shows, Centurions didn't last that long. Inhumanoids. Uh, <clears throat> even, even things we talked about last time, like the Visionaries and that sort of thing. Dungeons and Dragons was a Saturday morning cartoon that we couldn't get to watch, but a lot of people loved to this day. So it was just this fascinating time of a lot of content with so many fewer channels than we have today and the content became a little bit more impactful maybe it was because of less channels you know cable just starting to really come into its own that sort of thing so um so there it is and all this from one email from mr craig Albuck. so craig thank you so much for emailing in and giving me a show because i appreciate it when next we get together guys i will have seen uh Captain America Civil War. Oh, SAD in the chat mentions no DuckTales. DuckTales, I always feel like, is an 80s car- is a 90s cartoon, but it did start in the 80s, didn't it? And DuckTales was a great cartoon. DuckTales was one I watched in the afternoons at 4 o'clock uh, after school. I-, I would watch the DuckTales. I did like the DuckTales, so I was all about it. Uh, love those love those things. So much, I could, you guys know me. I could talk about the, all of these things I just mentioned really merit their own episode. You know, um, all these cartoons especially merit their own their own devoted episode of geek out loud uh and and maybe one day we'll we'll get there like i say i want to do a transformers episode just just focusing on that cartoon and those 80s properties the super friends i think it'd be fun to do a super friend centric series of episodes where uh where we talk about the different seasons and that sort of thing um you know, it, it, here's the thing, guys, and, and this is where the Patreon stuff comes into play. As the Patreon support grows and there's more freedom to do shows without other job stuff involved, um, these are the things we could do. We can get our hands on these properties and start to kind of dissect them and, and look at them, you know, as painful as it may be for some of these things, but to go into each one and, and talk about characters that are in there and talk about different stuff, talk about the music and maybe try to score some people that were involved in different things with these um, and that's why that Patreon support is so important. Patreon.com slash geekoutloud and the Amazon link. So important if you use those at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. Um, but that's our show. And like I say, when next we meet, we will I will have seen Captain America Civil War, and that will be the topic of discussion. Like it, hate it, or otherwise. Uh, we're going to talk about Captain America Civil War when next we get together. And again, I've heard nothing, nothing but good stuff um from it they were mentioned in an email we'll play them as we go out ladies and gentlemen it's the house band the unofficial house band of the goldiverts rock sugar
Thanks, everyone, who joined us in the chat live at Mixer.com slash Goloverse. Appreciate you guys joining us every time we do a show. It's good to see you all. If you're not joining us in the chat, please do so at your leisure. And to know when we're doing these things, just follow us on Twitter, at GeekOutLoud, at Goloverse for the entire Goloverse. And, of course, I'm at Steve Blossom. Would love to have you follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Twitter. I'm over there doing some things here and there. I, I posted a picture of a, a lizard outside my house that was shedding its skin yesterday. You never know what you'll get on Instagram from me, and you never know when it'll come very intermittently. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geekoutloud. It's a Facebook page. Uh, I feel like group is the way to go, apparently. That's, that's how things have started, so we may be starting up one of those pretty soon. Stand by, as they say. And, of course, the email is geekoutonline at gmail.com. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. There are a slew of Goliverse shirts available in our Public store at geekoutonline.com slash shirts. Go pick those up, guys. We don't get a lot out of those shirts, so we need to sell a lot. But we got our classic gold shirts. There's some Disney Vault Talk stuff, the Rock Out Loud mixtape shirt, our Mark Out Loud shirts there. So uh, check those out if you're so inclined to support the shows that way. Please do so at geekoutonline.com slash shirts. I appreciate you all so much. Appreciate you listening. You, you remain. I said it back on episode 20, and I say it now. You remain the greatest podcast listening audience in the universe. Geek Out Loud has the most ardent podcast listening audience of any show I've ever paid attention to in my life. And I can't tell you what that means to me. You guys uh, you guys keep me going. You mean the world to me. And everything I do, I do for you. Everything I do with the podcast, I always do in mind with, I want to make sure you guys are happy with what's going on. Uh, because... I enjoy doing this, and I enjoy that people enjoy it. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks for the emails. Thanks for the listening live. All the good stuff, man. I really appreciate it. Tell folks about it, and if you're so inclined, help us out with our iTunes ratings and stuff by going over to the iTunes store and rating us and reviewing us. I like reading nice things. And every now and again, we get that that, that off-star review, that one or two star view, and we need as many five stars as we can to offset those things. So thank you guys so much for that. You keep us uh, pretty high up in the rankings on the TV and film category. I'm rambling on now because I just don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. But we must. So until next time, I'm Steve Glosson, and we'll see you on the next Geek Out Loud. Like a